0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here with the Harvard EdCast book series speaking to author Jeffrey Hennig, author of the book The End of Exceptionalism in American Education. Welcome to the EdCast.
1: Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh,
0: Professor Hennig, tell me a little bit about the title of the book in terms of the historical backdrop. When is the beginning? And then what do you actually mean by exceptionalism?
1: Sure. Let me let me answer that, but flip the questions a little bit. Um, when I, when I use the term uh, end of exceptionalism, I'm I'm not using it in the same way that it's commonly used in more general political discourse, where education exceptionalism is is uh, or where exceptionalism and in particularly American exceptionalism is presented as an argument that the U.S. is somehow different from other countries, usually with the connotation that America is better than other countries, that we're sort of blessed by God. Uh, Rather than distinguishing uh, the U.S. from other countries, what I'm writing about and arguing in this book is that education has been dealt with differently from other domestic policy issues, issues like health policy and transportation policy and crime and policing and things like that. Those other issues have been dealt with largely by general purpose governments, uh, mayors and city councils and Congress and state legislatures, government bodies that deal with a range of issues, uh, whereas education historically has been buffered off quite often in uh, specific units of government that attend just to education, issue specific. Um, uh, Governance structures like school boards. Um, And and the history of this goes back at least to early in the 20th century. During that uh, period around the turn of the 20th century, it was quite common in large cities for education to be dealt with like a traditional uh, agency at the local level, a municipal agency whose budget is controlled by the mayor and the city council. And reformers of that era Um, saw that as a problem. They were looking at big city government and saw it as rife with patronage politics and machine politics. And in their efforts to um, extract school uh, decisions from machine-style politics, they pushed for reform, establishing school boards, which were separately elected from city councils, often on different days from general elections, and often uh, with um, funding streams that were separate and protected from those uh, that the city councils and mayors controlled.
0: You talk about uh, it being a sort of tectonic shift in school governance, even the subtitle is the changing politics of school reform. Would you say that these shifts are overall good or bad for for the school reform movement?
1: Well, the, the the shifts have uh, some real risks attached to them, and in particular, the shift that I focus on, which is the the shift from special purpose government to general purpose government, the the risks um, are that um, education advocates and those who believe it's important to invest in public education are increasingly competing uh, in arenas with other interest groups that have other often legitimate claims on the public purse so they have to uh combat uh um claims that we'd be better off spending our money on parks and recreation or more police on the street or um more protection for security issues Uh, and in those arenas um, education advocates are less uh, blessed than they have been historically by the fact that um, um, that policymakers that they're appealing to don't necessarily see education as the most important issue, and they're not specialists in education like school boards and school superintendents are. So the the risk, and, the, and it's a real one too, um, education advocates is that in these broader general purpose arenas, they're going to lose. Um, important battles over over uh, spending priorities.
0: So with the risks at hand, uh, does your book offer any solutions or possible calls to action as to how to get away from these risks and kind of get back to the exceptionalism that you spoke about?
1: Sure. And, you know, and uh, I'll answer that, you know, both in terms of how to avoid the risk and also the, the potentially positive aspects of uh, this uh, uh, end of exceptionalism. The way to avoid the risk, I believe, is that education advocates have to begin much more um, self-consciously and aggressively than they have in the past to reach out and build coalitions with um other kinds of interest groups, interest groups that have complementary agendas but aren't necessarily focused on investment in in, in schools per se. So that can be interest groups who care about um, early child education, it could be interest groups that care about social services uh, and support services for the poor, it can be interest groups that care about um, um, Environmental uh, issues and the importance of having educated citizens uh, for um, for judging over the long run complicated issues like global science and science and climate change and the like. So, so, so the the strategy for moderating the risk is to um, join in with other interest groups in these multi-issue coalitions. That means sometimes that education advocates have to be willing to negotiate and compromise and and to look for um, strategic Issues where they might be willing to be trade off a little bit less sp- spending on education, say, in return for m- more spending on families and lower-income services to lower-income kids—things that'll make education easier and better—but um, don't necessarily travel down through the the pipeline that goes directly to schools. Now that that relates to the the, the argument that I. I make in the book about, you know, an upside to the end of exceptionalism in American education to the extent um, that really addressing important goals in education, in particular to the extent that narrowing the educational achievement gap um, across income and race is important, I believe that the levers we need to pull are not just levers of schools. We need to have a coordinated strategy that involves um, um, services and spending that come through other agencies um, and other uh, bureaucracies. So my optimistic scenario is that educators, in the process of of defending their interests in these more general uh, purpose arenas, also help to shape a multi-issue um, conceptualization and policy strategy for um, for advancing um, the health and well-being of of young people, and I think that that kind of uh, Approach that's not simply school-based is, is, is what we need and is in the long run more likely to generate the benefits we want.
0: Yeah, I think that segues nicely into kind of who this book's audience is for. Uh, Rick Hess says about your book, this is a book that every policymaker, reformer, and advocate for change would be wise to heed. Uh, when you set out to write this book, who is the general audience, and how, what is the best way to use this book to accomplish the goals of the book?
1: Well, of course, I want everyone to read the book who's willing to read the book. I'm I'm a political scientist, and I and I draw heavily on on ideas that are um, important in in terms of understanding politics and and governance broadly. So I think that. Um, Students and scholars who are interested in the overlap between politics and education will find it useful. But the broader audience, and and the audience that I'm I'm hopeful will, uh, be interested, is the audience of policymakers and citizens who are concerned about um, uh, American students' performance, who uh, who are concerned about. Um, long-term inequities in terms of educational uh, performance and achievement, who are frustrated by the contemporary debate, which so often pits people who say um, schools can do it alone uh, versus those who say um, schools can't do it. We've got to address this through um, ending poverty. I, I think that's a you know that's become a stale debate. Um, we need to f- think about ways in which we we bring into harmony or, or what we're trying to do through schools and what we're trying to do through other agencies of government, and that's that's the message I'm trying to uh, land on, and um, and that I hope you know readers of the book will take to heart.
0: So aside from buying your book, The End of Exceptionalism in American Education, well, most of our audience are not necessarily policymakers. They're parents and their teachers and they're people who are interested in education reform. What's one thing they can do when this podcast ends, after they've already ordered your book at the Harvard Education Publishing Group website, what's one thing that they can do to move this work forward?
1: Well, I think, you know... Uh the The illuminating aspect for many of them is is to realize that um, that pursuing their um, policy goals, you know, requires attending to um, uh, elections and interactions with politicians outside of school systems. So, so parents who may be frustrated with their local Principal or their local school board um, often, um, you know, eventually decide. I've banged my head against that wall too many times. Um, I'm, I'm just going to sit and take it, or I'm going to look to private schools, or I'm going to take my kids out to the suburbs or go to charter schools. And what the book suggests to those who are, you know, have the energy. Um, and commitment to try to make things better is that the battle exists also in, um, in in mayoral politics and city council politics and selection of state legislatures and and governors, and that ultimately um, their ability to um, communicate with other um, uh, folks in their community who's primary issues might not be schools. It may be other folks who don't have kids in the, in the schools, for example, and they're concerned with other aspects of community health. Their ability to communicate to them the importance of schools and to uh, find common interests in these political arenas is what's going to make a difference in the long run.
0: Uh, Jeff, where can people get the book if they're interested in buying it?
1: Well, of course, they can get it at the Harvard Education Press website, and it's available at Amazon and, uh, you know, and uh, all the online uh, sources of books um, probably more easily than knocking on your neighborhood bookstore.
0: The book is The End of Exceptionalism in American Education, The Changing Politics of School Reform. The author is political science and education professor at Columbia University, Jeffrey Hennig. Thank you so much for appearing on the EdCast. Thank you. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.
1: The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.